it's jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane, I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory, I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me.
Let's see, kiddos, if you would like, you can be dismissed for Children's Church. You can follow Brenda and Jessica doing double duty today. All right, and then we're going to finish up. But we've been, I've been uh, preaching out of Nehemiah and Ezra, so we're going to, I'm going to finish that today, and then we're going to, in in uh, February, I'm gonna we're gonna take a little bit of time. We're going to uh, go through the Book of Acts a little bit. We're gonna talk about the first church in in uh, Acts, and next week in particular, we're gonna hit that part of Acts chapter two when it talks about the devotion of the first church, the things that they were absolutely devoted to, and and the effect of that. So we'll be talking about that next week. We're gonna take a little break then, and uh, we're gonna be talking about. Uh, love and marriage there for uh, that week um, um, uh, before Valentine's Day, and then we'll jump up back into the book of Acts as we see the gospel spreading really throughout the, all the known world in the book of Acts. Just really powerful stuff as God was using the, uh, the disciples to just common people, right, to just really turn the world upside down. Just a fantastic book. I love it. It's, it's, I tell you, the book of Acts is one of the most exciting to me. You just see these guys facing incredible hardship and, and just press it on to... Uh, to have boldness and share the gospel. Just very encouraging to me. Um, as I promised last week, finally, I should have thought about this sooner. I've only been pastoring for 10 years, so give me a day or two. I'll, it'll, I'll get better. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I want to give you guys a little bit of a timeline with where we've been at in Ezra and Nehemiah. And so let me direct your attention. Today, we're going to be in that top uh, little caption we're on, that, on the third paragraph there. talks about Haggai. Um, we're going to be talking about Haggai today. You'll notice where that is. The timeline that this has put across, you'll see um, the first temple was destroyed. Uh, you remember uh, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the first temple. Basically, he came into Jerusalem and ransacked uh, Jerusalem. He took out a, a group of, of um, captives out of, their, out of uh, Babylon, or I'm, I'm sorry, into Babylon from Jerusalem. Um, the Israelites rebelled against him, and he uh, finally just went back, crushed the city, destroyed the temple, took all the um, furniture, all the furnishings of the temple, took all the gold out of, out of the temple that King Solomon had built. And for 70 years, there was no temple in Jerusalem. Right? The, the people of Israel had no, had no temple. Um, after, uh, after the king of Babylon was put down, basically uh, Cyrus the Great was a Persian. He was a Persian king. He rose up and God called him out by name. And we read this a little bit last week, but in the book of Isaiah, God called, <laughs> God called out um, Cyrus and he said, I will use Cyrus. He will be like a shepherd and he will rebuild Jerusalem. He would, be real, re, he would rebuild um, uh, Judah. And uh, he was spelled out in that prophecy to 120 years before it happened. Um, so, you know, a century before he was even alive, God called him out by name and through the prophet Isaiah, and, and God said, I'm going to use him uh, to rebuild my kingdom or to rebuild the Jerusalem. Um, then you'll see in Ezra there at the uh, bottom there, deal there. We've been kind of reading through Ezra here at the end of the month. So here in Ezra, this is about 458 B.C. Ezra shows up before Nehemiah does, and he's a, a priest, and he goes to, to Jerusalem with some of the remnants, some of the captives who had returned. And so we're reading through his book. Let's see, we're going to be finishing. Y'all have been reading uh, chapters 1 through 6 this week. Um, Ezra is, in chapters 1 through 6, Ezra's recounting what had happened under Zerubbabel, and we're going to be reading about that today. I'll try to tie it all together for you. Um, but some of the captives have been allowed to return under Cyrus. He allowed them to return to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Actually sent out a decree 
uh, and uh, allowed some of the Jews to return to Jerusalem, specifically to rebuild the temple. Then Ezra, as you read along, then Ezra in chapter 7 of Ezra, Ezra picks up, sorry, he's a historian also, priest and historian. So chapters 1 through 6, he's talking about all that happened under Zerubbabel when they go back and, and, um, and rebuild the temple. Then Ezra himself goes back into Jerusalem. And then after that, we have Nehemiah in 444 B.C., um, he asked the king, uh, Artaxerxes, who was another Persian king, uh, successor to Cyrus, a uh, couple away, but anyway, successor to Cyrus in 444, he was sent back to, he asked for permission to go back to Jerusalem, and now that the temple had been re- re- rebuilt, um, he went back and rebuilt the walls. So, does that help put it all in context a little bit, maybe? Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, I hope that's helpful, and you can refer to that kind of as you go through and finish out your, your study in the book of uh, Ezra as you read personally as we talk about it today. On the back of that sheet, I have uh, just some fill-in-the-blanks for our stuff today. And the top part is just a recap. This is, this is where we've been in the month of January and actually the end of de- December. So let's just go through, and I'm just going to hit the high points really quickly. Um, we read through the book of Nehemiah first, and then Nehemiah, you know, comes after Ezra in, in order, but we actually went through Nehemiah first. But you remember when Nehemiah he, he asked about the condition of the city of Jerusalem, and basically the report was they're in trouble and they're in shame. You remember? He said the walls are falling down. There's no protection for the city. The people are living in ruins. And do you remember what Nehemiah did then for the next four months? He fasted and prayed for four months. He fasted and prayed for four months. Um, that's so important. And somehow during that time, from before that period of four months, Nehemiah was weeping and, and, and sorrowful for how Jerusalem was. After four months of seeking, of, of seeking the Lord about it and praying about it, he had a plan. He had a calling. He knew he was supposed to be the one to go back to do it. And he had this vision of a rebuilt Jerusalem and actually had a plan for how it was all going to come together. He asked King Artaxerxes, hey, give me a pass to go through these other countries, to go through some of the regions of your kingdom. Give me a pass so I can get some lumber to rebuild the gates. And King Artaxerxes allowed him all of that by God's providence. So um, one of the things that I wanted to take away from that is, be, you know, during that time of four months where he received a vision, where he received a calling, he received inspiration, really, to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, if our lives lack vision, if our lives lack direction, if our lives lack inspiration, I suspect that it's probably a lack of wholeheartedly seeking the Lord, a lack of wholeheartedly seeking the Lord. So, you know, if, if you're lacking inspiration in your life, this is something that we have to do. You know, um, anyway, I could go on and on, but it's not the point of the sermon today. I'll, I'll, we'll press on here. I'll be dis- disciplined. Okay, then we talked, um, the next week we talked about um, under Nehemiah, they rebuilt the wall, but they were under constant threats, right? Their enemies rose up and said, we're going to come in the midst of you, we're going to kill you, and all this other stuff. They're just constant threats. And besides that, the workers were getting tired all along. But we saw in in, in the book of Nehemiah that God uses adversity to strengthen faith. We saw about how uh, you know, if it had been easy, if Nehemiah just marched into town and it all just happened, then the people would have just said, yeah, we did it. Uh, but instead, because there was adversity, because it was such a difficult task, and because it seemed impossible to all of them, whenever they finished, what could they say? But God's presence and his power was with us, and it's by his strength and by his power and by his plan that he did this, and it gave them great confidence in the Lord that he had not forgotten them, but he continued to work in them. Once they finished the work on the wall, you remember they then rededicated, they dedicated the wall of Jerusalem. 
And in the middle of it, Nehemiah and Ezra had been, was in town. And Ezra, um, as a priest, led um, all the people in the dedication of the wall. And you remember the response. The, Ezra stood up and he began reading the Old Testament law to the people. And whenever he started reading it, they, and they heard it, and it does, the Bible doesn't say why, but it said that the whole multitude of the, of the people who lived in Jerusalem and were gathered there for the dedication, the Jews who lived around the surrounding area, began to weep bitterly. We don't know why. Maybe because they had fallen so far from what the law had said that they were supposed to be doing. I don't really know. But, but regardless, Nehemiah and Ezra and the other, uh, the other priests and Levites stood up and said, no, this isn't a time for weeping. This is a time for joy. This is a time for celebration because you, could you imagine what the Lord had done after 140 years that the walls had been destroyed? He had used or, common, ordinary people to, in an extraordinary time, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Just a beautiful thought there about how the joy of the Lord carries us on, carries us through, through all of our, all of our difficulties. Next, then we kind of backed up and we went to Ezra. And uh, Ezra, of course, happens before Nehemiah. But we read last week Ezra chapter 1. And you remember Cyrus the king, Cyrus the Persian king that I was talking about, prophesied in Isaiah 120 years prior. God calls him out through the prophet Isaiah, says Cyrus will rebuild Jerusalem. And Cyrus was not a Jew. Matter of fact, Cyrus was probably um, a polytheist. He probably kind of ex- accepted all of the gods that uh, over all the people that he w- had become over. And he had conquered the Medes. He conquered the Babylonians and everybody else who had raised the, up in that period of time. And Cyrus the Persian probably picked up and believed in all of them. But regardless, God used Cyrus to accomplish his will. So what we talked about last week is that we, you know, we don't need to pray small prayers. We need to remember that God can accomplish anything he desires, and he can use anybody to do it. Amen? Don't pray those small prayers. Pray, pray God-sized prayer. So we're going to continue on in the book of Ezra now, and I apologize for going backwards in history here, but um, in the book of Ezra, remember, is this time where under Zerubbabel, who would be the um, governor over Judah, under Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel would be allowed to go back and would be allowed to go back to rebuild the temple. So in, if you would, in Ezra chapter 3, let me just pick up and I'll kind of tell you what's going on. So they, they went and they rebuilt, in Ezra chapter 3, they, they went and they rebuilt the, uh, the foundations of the temple. And so in, in Ezra chapter 3, and we're going to read just verses 10 through 13, and then just to set it up because then we're going to swap over to Haggai. But anyway, in Ezra chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, when the builder... When, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. Isn't it cool? Every time the Israelites get together and something significant happens, there's music and worship and praise of God. And just while we're here really quickly, let me just point out, you and I join, you know, but worship is something that we do together by music all the time that we get together, right? But, but you know, don't just think about today. You know, back probably, what, uh, about 1,500 years ago, whenever Moses came out of Israel and God gave him the dimensions and how to build the, the tabernacle. And from that time forward, God's people have praised him through music and worship. Uh, it, it's just been part of, it's been part of the culture of back then the Jewish people, but today of the church. So, you know, for, uh, let's say that had been about 1,500 years prior to Christ, and that's been 2,000 years ago. So for 3,500 years, God's people have joined in a chorus of worship through music to our great and glorious God. And just to ask you, when is that going to end? 
never, right? <laughs> right, right. We're going to, one day we'll all be translated, right, through, through the rapture and we'll all be in God's presence. And, and from that moment on and for the rest of eternity, uh, you know, it'll be like the elders at the crown and who, right, have received a crown. And they'll just cast their crowns down and says, he's the one who's worthy. He's the one who deserves the praises and the honor. He's the one who's worthy of glory and honor. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise of his people. Amen? So don't be a little small-minded. And when you're in here praising and worshiping, we're going to be doing this a while. You need to get good at it. Amen? All right. We'll be doing this for the rest of our all eternity. Okay. Verse 11. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. We've kind of, I've kind of talked about this a little bit, but can you imagine what's happened after? The, the temple had been destroyed for 70 years. So there have been an entire generation or two who've been brought up who never saw Solomon's temple. They never had been able to come in and, and worship there. They were never able to come in and bring offering there. They were never able to come in and offer sacrifices for their sins to be uh, um, um, uh, covered over, right? They, they, hadn't, they didn't know it. They hadn't seen it before. They didn't see the glory of all that. And they weren't able to practice all those structures of the Old Testament because they had been d- destroyed by King uh, Nebuchadnezzar. They had never seen it before. But here, they got to go back. Here, they were allowed to go back and start the rebuilding. And so they begin shouting. And you can imagine what this is like. And, and I know you and I have had times like this, right, where the Lord's been really good to us. And then it seems like all the, you know, the wheels fall off and nothing's going well in our lives. And we begin to think what? Lord, have you forsaken me? Lord, have you forgotten me? I mean, it's, it's like David's Psalms all over again, right? And, and this, is your, this is your story and mine both, right? We have the same struggle. We just think, well, the Lord's just forgotten me. I've just fallen out of his favor. Everything's just lost, and he's abandoned me now forever. But here we go. His, he is good. His love to Israel endures forever. What an what a incredible thing it must have been for them to see after 70 years and really since the, the sacking of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the wall would be about 140 years. But during that time to begin to see God showing his favor again to his people. And so they you know, must have been there and just thinking he hasn't forgotten his promises. He, we've not fallen out of his good graces. He still continues to do his work around this. Anyway, continue on with verse 11. And all the people gave a shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But things changed. Look here in the middle of verse 12. It's very odd. Very strange things happen. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. What a confusing time. So what was happening? So they got the foundation all laid and put down, and there was a, supposed to be kind of a dedication time or a ceremony here. And what's the people's response? The older people, what? Wept. And the younger people shouted for joy, right? Okay. Let's continue. We'll come back. Verse 13, 13, no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts from the sound of the weeping because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. So what's happening here right in the middle of the dedication, the people just kind of fall apart. There are people shouting for joy, and then there are people who are weeping so loudly that, that you're, they're competing for right for the same space, and it's just confusion, utter chaos that's happening here. Well, why the difference? Why are the older people weeping? We're going to read a little bit in Haggai in just a minute, but they'd seen the glory of the previous temple. The young people, they'd never seen it. 
They never knew what the splendor of King Solomon's temple looked like. They didn't know. They didn't know what they were missing, really, honestly. And so you have this odd mixture. Um, we see there are a couple of times in the, well, there's more than a couple. There are several times in the book of Ezra where the work on the temple stops. Sometimes it's because there's some confusion in the Persian government. You know, one king dies, another king comes up, and he'll stop construction. Oh, no, you've got to stop this. You can't do this anymore. Sometimes some of their enemies come up and say, oh, you can't let the Israelites rebuild their temple. You've got to stop them. And they write, basically, it's an injunction. It's actually, it's kind of cool. It's right there captured in the book of Ezra for you, you can, when you read it. Um, but but they, uh, they, they stop several times. This time they stop because they're discouraged. This time the work on the temple stops, and, and we know basically, and, and just so you know how your Bible's organized, Ezra is one of the last historical books of the Bible, right? So we got the Pentateuch, right? Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then we go to the kind of the historical books. Ezra is one of the last of those prior to Nehemiah. Then we go to the books of poetry, right, which is where we get, um, where we get Psalms, Proverbs, all those. And then you go to the prophets. The prophets are at the end. Well, just so happens we're at the end of Old Testament history here. So if you have your Bible with you, um, probably the easiest way to find it, if you don't know where to find Haggai, turn to Malachi, the last prophet in the, uh, in the Old Testament, and turn left. He's the third to last prophet in the Old Testament. We're going to be in Haggai now for the rest of the sermon, for the rest of our time together this morning. So here's what happens is that the people kind of fall apart here. They have this time where they're absolutely, the older people are discouraged and, and there's this kind of confusion about, well, is this good or was this bad? And in the middle of it, we know that Haggai steps in and this is actually the second uh, prophecy that Haggai brings to the, to, the, uh, to the remnant of the Jews who return there to Jerusalem. Um, and he's going to go back and he's going to encourage them. He's going he's gonna to tell them, don't quit. Don't give up. Continue the work of rebuilding the temple. So Haggai is a prophet who is sent by God to step in and address the people and encourage them to continue their work. So step, stay with me now in, here in Haggai chapter 2. We're going to be beginning in verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel. Who is Zerubbabel? Everybody keeping up? Governor over Judah, right? Appointed, okay, governor over, over Judah. Governor of Judah, oh, there it says it right there, doesn't it? To Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Okay, so he's asking him, talk to the governor, talk to the high priest, and talk to all the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? Okay, so he's going to ask him three questions. Here's the first one. Who saw this house in its former glory? Who saw King Solomon's temple? Who is it? By this time, there would have been 66 years that's passed, okay? So this would have been now the old men are the only ones left who would have seen King Solomon's temple, right? Only ones left who would have seen it. And then he asks them, how does it look to you now? Right? Well, the, I think, yeah. And then he kind of puts words in his mouth. This is kind of a begging question. Does it not seem to you like nothing? Okay, so what's he saying here? He's saying here, this temple doesn't compare to King Solomon's temple. Now, um, let me give you just a little bit of background here. You remember under King David and King Solomon, the kingdoms of Judah and Israel were united. They had pooled all the resources of all the people, all the Jews who are now... Uh, who are now separated and, and dispersed all over the known world. Um, they were all together at that time. And King Solomon was a wealthy, wealthy man because under King David, the Israelites had been so victorious under God's help and his leadership. They had conquered so much territory that King Solomon was a wealthy, wealthy man. And when he called the people together to bring gold, there was hordes of gold. 
when he called them together to build the, the plan for, for, um, to build uh, God's, um, God's temple, when he called them together to do that, they had skilled craftsmen who were skilled at, 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 uh, at, at wood carving. They were skilled at, 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 uh, at uh, stone building. They were, they were in, incredibly skilled at inlaying gold in places. And so um, you talk about a, a wonder. It was actually one of the wonders of the ancient world until it was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. When King Nebuchadnezzar came in, he, he destroyed it. He knocked it all down, took all the gold out, took all the furnishings out, and took it back to Babylon whenever he stole and took the captives there. Um, and so, but now who's in Jerusalem? Is it a mighty king? Is it an incredible, powerful people who had conquered all this territory? These were people who were basically building from ruins. They were poor. They had very little in the way of, of, of money and support. They had very little. And so how would this compare to the other? There was no comparison. This, this temple was no comparison to the previous. Matter of fact, if you go back and look at the numbers, even though there's uh, what, 400 years difference between when the first and second temple were built, or more, 450 maybe. Um, th- the amount that, that Solomon spent was a thousand times more what the people spill, spend on the second temple. It was a thousand times more glorious. Um, how does it look to you now? Does it seem like nothing? Let me pause there for just a second. Uh, um, just to say, you know, there's, the, the people saw what this temple was compared to the last one, and what was the result? It's discouragement. I mean, why all this work? This is nothing like it used to be. This is nothing like the glory of the previous temple. This is pointless. Why are we bothering with it all? Um, can I tell you, just as part of us as being people, we are suspect to discouragement. We are, we are prone to discouragement. Things don't go our way, and, and we're prone to be discouraged, right? Um, l- let me just give you a couple of examples. You know, you feel like maybe God's calling you to do something, and you kind of get in the middle of it, and you start facing all this hardship, right? You start, things start, don't go well for you, and start, things start being very difficult. And in the middle of it, you say, well, God, what, what are you doing? I thought this was what you were calling me to, and now it just seems like everywhere I turn, there's a roadblock. That can be discouraging. When you're in the middle of doing a work and it doesn't seem like there's anyone around you to help you and you feel like you're doing God's work, you feel like you're doing what he's called you to do, but there's no one around to help, that's discouraging. Whenever you and I get in the middle of a project or, or we see that the way things are versus the way the things used to be, you know, uh, just looking back in the last several years, um, um, you know, Mission Aviation Fellowship was involved um, I can't remember the gentleman's name. Uh, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint was was a was a, a um, pilot for Mission Aviation Fellowship. Um, whenever um, so there were five individuals, five young men who went to reach the Aukin Indians in South America, right? Y'all know the story. Everybody know, who knows the story. Okay, MAF um, MAF missionary and and other people uh, went down. Um, Jim Elliott, um, famously, probably the most same, famous than Nate Saint, probably. Um, went down and they tried to reach the Aachen Indians. They knew they were a cannibalistic tribe. They knew that they were very hostile, but they went anyway. And Jim Elliott wrote things in his journal like, um, I would give my life for these people, almost prophetically, honestly. Um, but but um, while they were there, while they were trying to reach the, uh, the Indian people, they'd made several drops. They'd tried to make contact a few times and uh, were some, somewhat successful reaching them and had had, had had some friendly contact with some of them. But one day they were supposed to actually go and meet there with the, the tribe and um, they're supposed to check in every, I think, can't remember the time, every four hours or something by radio. And the call never came. And it didn't come. And it didn't come. 
And in the, the hours turned into days and the days to weeks, and it didn't come. You know, during that time, the president of the United States, and I cannot forget who it is. I cannot remember. Anybody know who that was? Was this, uh, was this uh, 50s? What was the time frame here? Was this Ike? Was this Eisenhower? Did you say 60s? 50s? I think it was Eisenhower. He sent out a call to ask the American people to pray for our missionaries in South America. That doesn't happen anymore. The church today has lost its influence in the United States and really in the Western world. We don't enjoy the same influence that we had years ago. And so, you know, what could we do? You know, we could look at today and we can look at the past, how influential the church had been in the founding of our country, how influential the, 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 the uh, church had been in the, I don't know, for, dec- for, for centuries in the United States' existence, and, and to see how incredibly influential the church and people's respect for God was. You know, even people who weren't believers had an awe and a respect for God in our country. You can go back and look at any history, really, and just see that. But it's diminished significantly in the last, what, 50 years? And we can look back and we can wonder and we can say, it's hopeless, it's pointless. Look at the direction that everything's going today. Look at the direction of people's public opinion right now and how people view the church and how people view God. And we could look at it all and just say, it's hopeless, it's pointless here. And I know you've probably had those thoughts. I've had those thoughts, right? You just think, well, what is the hope for our society? What's the hope for Western civilization? What is the hope for the world when we seem to be losing ground? We just, uh, in, in um, th- this year, in January, we just um, marked the 40th year of the anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion. In that time, there have been 53 million children aborted in this country. It continues. Um, Planned Parenthood. Um, every year by themselves, in that one organization, um, they're, they're, they, um, they, they are responsible for about 325,000 abortions a year just in, that own, in their own organization. Can you imagine a time that the United States would be counting in millions the number of babies who are killed through abortion? I, I, it's just it's unfathomable to me. And we could look at all that, and we could look at all the, you know, we could look at all the, the statistics, we could look at all the culture, we could look at all the change, we could be very discouraged. We could think we were very hopeless. We could think, there's, what point is it anymore? We all know where this is headed, right? But look what Haggai, look what the Lord tells Haggai to say to these people who are in Jerusalem, who say this is not going to be anywhere like what it used to be. In verse 4, read with me. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Isn't that fantastic? You see how different things were for the Israelites? You see how things were very different for them where they had gone kind of at the top of the heap in in power and in wealth in their area, and now where they were at the very bottom of the pile in power and strength and numbers? But God says something has never changed. I have always been with you. And I will always be with you. He said, he said I, I, this is what I've promised. When I brought you out of Egypt, I will never leave you. 
I will never leave you alone, and my presence will always be with you. It marked the, the Israelites as a special people that have been set apart by God so that he might dwell, so that he might be their God, and he, they might be his people. And he says, and my spirit remains with you. So on the, on the back there, Haggai's message is, is threefold. One of them, he says, be strong, right? You know, when he says be strong here, I kind of think about what that, what that means. I think that means to, to, to have courage, to take courage, that, that, that strengthen your heart and remember this thing that's coming up here that he's going to say. Be strong. And then he says, yeah, be strong for, uh, I'm sorry. And then the second thing is he says, be strong and work is number two. Be strong, do the work. Number three, for I am with you. You know, here's the deal. You and I talk to our kids all the time about and try to encourage them. And how do we do it? We say, you know, they're struggling with math or they're struggling with something. We say, oh, no, you're, you're really smart. You're really good at math, you know, which is one thing, right? The prophets tell the Israelites, they don't say, oh, don't worry, you're really scrappy people. You'll be fine. He doesn't say that, does he? What's the, what is the point? What is the, what is the anchor for their hope? What is the anchor for their strength? What is their anchor against fear? What is it? The Lord's presence with them, right? That's the message we need to carry to our children, by the way. The Lord's presence with them. He said, that, be strong, do the work, for I am with you. Just like I had promised when I brought you out of Egypt, I am with you. My spirit remains among you. And the last thing he says, number four there, he says, do not fear. Anybody know how many times that's in the Bible? 365, that's right. One for every day. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. And again, let me stress this. The people of Israel were a unique people, not because they were special, not because they were talented, not because they were powerful, because they'd been chosen by God to be his people and his presence dwelt among them. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So let me bring it back to you and I here today. Okay, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of things that seem to be turning wrong for you all the time, in the midst of looking back and thinking about this is hopeless or this is pointless or I'm doing this all by myself, in the middle of all that, I believe God still says to his people today, be strong, do the work, for I am with you. Do not fear. Yeah? Amazing, amazing. Amazing, amazing that God in his presence Amazing that God, what he does in his, in his uh, presence. But the other amazing part, and I don't want you to miss this as we, as we wrap this study up this, this week. All the stuff we've been talking about doing was this combined effort between God and his people. And through them, they accomplished things that no one thought could be done. Not the people themselves didn't think it could happen, right? Their enemies didn't think it could happen, but by the people's work and faithfulness and, and, and faith in the Lord God and by his power, all of these things happened. God did extraordinary things through ordinary people. Amen? God still does extraordinary things through ordinary people. Amen? Amen. Let me... Um, Let's just finish out this part of Haggai and we'll be gone here. Okay, verses 6 through 9. We're just going to read this part for fun. I don't really have any notes, but it's cool what the Lord says here. Verse 6, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and earth, 
the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the desired of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house, it will be greater than the glory of the former house. How about that? Why? Not because it's going to have more gold, not because it's going to have more silver, but because of the power and the presence of the Lord. And Jesus Christ would be coming into this temple. Amen? Amen. And he is, right, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. Okay, and in this place, I will, be, I will grant peace declares the Lord Almighty. All right, Jesus was coming. As a matter of fact, the, the only two prophets that are left are Zechariah and Malachi. And Malachi is going to say, uh, come into this temple, boy, 400 years, and uh, Jesus Christ would come. Jesus Christ would come. All right, boy, just amazing stuff. You know, and the thing, boy, God does not change. He still does extraordinary things through ordinary people. And I don't know why, but he loves to do, use people to do it. I don't know the last time that God dropped a hospital out of the sky. You know, usually it was guys who were laboring to make it happen, right? I don't know the last time that, that, that God dropped, a, I don't know, something else. He usually uses people to fulfill his work just because um, uh, he likes to work with us. How about that? He, he favors us. All right. Let's pray together. And uh, we've got, you know what, let's do announcements. Can we do announcements now? Uh, Jason, thank you. I forgot a couple of things. I know you're all shocked. Good thing you're sitting down. I think I did welcome people. Ah, book club. Yes. Um, so, ladies, uh, book club on Tuesday at 1 p.m. as y'all go through the book. Voice in the Wind. Yes, Francine Rivers' book, um, all about kind of AD 70 Jerusalem. Okay. And next, oh, Wednesday night prayer group. Um, so, we're going to be here, uh, ladies and gentlemen, both, are you, both of you are invited. We want to continue to really seek the Lord for his vision, for his direction for our church body. And so, Wednesday night at 6.30, we're going to be joining together to do that. While the kids have their activities and the youth have their activities, we'll be praying together. All right. And women of faith, um, we're looking for uh, ticket deposits are due on April the 1st for $101. The event happens August 2nd and 3rd. So ladies, if you're interested in that, you can see who, Brenda Buck or Jennifer, something like that. Can you raise your hands, Brenda Buck and Jennifer? Thank you. Ah, thank you very much. Okay, very good. All right, who's next? Oh, and Super Bowl party, a little football game coming up, and I'm not sure you're aware of it. Um, um, so February the 3rd, that's Saturday here at the church, going to start at 5 o'clock, bring snacks. And drinks. Yeah, how about that? So anyway, little party up here for that. We'll just get together and get to fellowship some and, uh, during the game. I think typically, too, people who don't enjoy the uh, football maybe uh, play a little game. So if you want to bring some, a game you enjoy, bring that. And I'm sure there'll be a, a, uh, another room we do that in. So, Okay, that is all I got. Uh, man, I pray, I, I pray for us here that our time here in Nehemiah would be just be really fruitful on two, on two counts especially. One is that we'd be really serious about seeking the Lord wholeheartedly like Nehemiah. Yeah, may we be like Nehemiah in seeking his Lord, amen, and our Lord. Uh, the second thing is that, um, is to have the confidence to believe the Lord does incredible, extraordinary things, and he uses ordinary people just like you, just like me, to accomplish his work, amen, amen. Have, have that kind of faith, have that kind of belief, he really does, um, and let's believe more in his ability and less in our disability, huh? All right, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had together. We thank you for the time that we've had studying in Nehemiah and just the amazing work you did in Nehemiah and Ezra and through, through the prophet Haggai that you sent to encourage the people to continue to do the work. And Lord, I pray that you would use that, to just re- use that message to resound in our hearts, to encourage us to remember that, Lord, it's your presence that makes us all worthwhile. It's your presence that gives us hope 
Lord God, that you're going to do everything that you desire, and what you're going to do is just a glorious, glorious work. And whenever you do it, Lord, so many times you do it through your people. So, Lord, use your people here at Calvary. Use these people to fulfill your will, to fulfill your calling here in our community, I pray. It's in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Sorry I kept you a little long today. Y'all have a great week.